of you, uh, many of you, have been wondering about uh, Pastor Stephen, our friend, our dear friend from India, and his uh, upcoming transplant surgery. And uh, that's scheduled to happen in real time for us this Tuesday night uh, from 5 to 10-ish, which is from 4 a.m. to 9-ish, their time in Bangalore, India. And so... uh, we, we want to be offering an opportunity for anybody who would like to, to come right into this room during that time. It'll be an open prayer meeting, open prayer gathering, so there'll be people in and out through that whole time. So anytime between 5 and I think 10.30 is when we're planning on wrapping it up. Uh, we want to be praying in real time here for when the surgery's actually happening there. So we would just love to have you come, uh, you know, if you're a seasoned prayer person or not, if it's just brand new to you, uh, or if you're even still trying to figure it out, just come on, just come on, and it'll, it'll just be a very open, kind of uh, organic format happening, and you can come and go as you please, all right? So that'll be happening, uh, but I thought it'd be real good for us to take a minute and pray for Pastor Stephen and Queenie, uh, his wife Queenie, who will be serving as the donor. So we're really praying for both of them. Uh, let's, let's pray together now. So Father... We bow together now, uh, gathered together in your house, so grateful that we get to do this. It's it's still uh, an amazing thing that we can come together uh, the way we do here and to just uh, share the true contents of our our hearts over with you, Lord. And so right now we, we want to release our faith for healing for Pastor Stephen and his wife, Queenie. And you have heard our prayers. We know you've heard our prayers. We know that you have heard our prayers. And uh, we trust you completely in the ways that you determined to answer our prayers. And so we lift them up to you now with this uh, surgery coming up. And we pray for every, every blessing, every protection, every power, every revelation of wisdom to the skilled physicians and other medical people who will be uh, just, uh, performing this procedure. And we pray, God, that you would uh, visit them in the days leading up to the surgery and just remind them of things and give them ever their best sense of themselves as they enter into that operating time, Lord. We thank you so much for Pastor Stephen and Queenie and the work that they do in India and the privilege of ours to be a part of that. And so we join with thousands thousands, literally thousands around the world right now, and agreeing together for the complete protection and healing of Pastor Steve and his wife, Queenie. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, one of my favorite people in the world is a woman named Valerie Jenkins. I don't know if you've ever heard of her or not. Perhaps some of you have, some of you haven't. Karen and I have known Valerie for nearly 20 years now, and we love her, and she... uh, among her many great qualities, she's, she loves Jesus passionately, she's honest, she's hardworking, and she's direct. And these are all things that, I, that we love about Val. Uh, in fact, uh, the reason that her husband Rich is an elder here is largely because of Val, actually. <laughs> Which, if the truth be known, is true of all of the elders, including myself. So, uh, But one of the things for which Val is known by those who know her is her ability to find a good bargain. You see, just those who know her, her ability to find a good bargain. 
she's really a, quite amazing in this way, and the things that she gets for reduced rates or sometimes free uh, borders on criminal. And, uh, but, you know, I would never presume or probably even want to get into the mind of Val Jenkins, but um, I think it must go something like this. I know that's what's on the price tag, but what are you willing to take, right? And uh, I don't, it doesn't really matter, it seems, where she is. That's the question that must be rolling around in her mind. And if you think about it, in any situation into which we enter where someone has something that we want or need... That's really the question, isn't it? It's like, what are you willing to take for that thing that I need, that thing that I want? What are you really willing to take? Because in that kind of a relationship, the other person holds most of the power. And so you have to get somehow to an understanding of their will in order to understand what the true options for you are in a situation like that. Well... In this series of messages I've been bringing to you, uh, this is the fifth stop in a series of the messages uh, centering around the I am statements of Jesus. And in this statement that we're going to look at today, it was a statement that he made to a leper. When a leper came up and asked Jesus if he would be willing, if he'd be willing to cleanse him from leprosy. Would you be willing to do that, he said. And, And Jesus made this incredible I am statement. He said, I am willing I am willing. That's a powerful statement, believers. That's a powerful statement. To hear that as all, all things that Jesus revealed to us about himself in the I am statements, which means that he's God. I am God. I am. The roots deeply embedded in the Old Testament. I am for the name of God. I am God. I am the light of the world. We've seen I am the good shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep. And he said, I am, I am willing. The preceding from the character of Jesus as God, I am, is a willingness. Is a willingness. I am willing. I'd like for us to spend some time thinking about that today. Um, it's such an important statement for us that Jesus made, I am willing, because it's a question that I'm sure every one of us asks at some point or another in our lives, right? Are you willing to do this, Lord? I mean, think about it. Think about the different situations into which you've been dropped, it seems like, in life. And you you turn to God, and there was never any doubt in your mind that he could handle it. But would he? Can we talk? Hello? Uh, I know you can, but will you? And I know the price tag says unemployment. I know the price tag says divorce. I know the price tag says cancer. But what are you willing to do? To change what's on that tag, what's on that diagnosis, prognosis, to change what's on, what's on that thing that's been delivered to me. That's really the bigger question that I think everybody has to ask because I doubt if anybody in the room questions whether God can handle this stuff of our life, but what's he willing to do? So turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 12 through 16, and for those of you who are newer to the Bible, that's in the New Testament which is the second major portion, the back, kind of the back half of the Bible. And Luke, if you keep looking up at the top of the pages, you'll see Luke and then a number. You can look for 5, Luke 5, and then find a verse called 12. And we're going to be looking at that. When you're on your way to finding that, uh, would, I think it would be good for us to establish the context of this passage so that we can do it justice. And uh, I think I'm happy to announce that this week we're out of the argument. For the last four weeks we've been in the Gospel of John 
looking at Jesus making these statements, and he's been in this argument. He's been in this argument with the Pharisees who are questioning his identity. And so four times he said, I am this, I am, I am, I am, I am God, I am, etc. Well, we're out of the argument, and we're into a different kind of context, and so we have to read it from a different, uh, somewhat different perspective. What is the context, you ask? Go ahead. Well, it's the first day of disciple school. It's the first day of disciple school for Peter and Andrew and James and John. If you just look up from the passage you're in, you'll see that the calling of the first disciples had just occurred. And so this is the first day of disciple school. Now, remember how disciple school worked. Do you remember? That Jesus would have been seen as one of many rabbis traveling throughout Palestine. There were other people who would have resembled what Jesus was doing, but there was no one who was Jesus, of course. But Jesus would have been considered a rabbi, and in, in many of the times that you read the scripture, you hear people say rabbi. And so he would have been seen as a, 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 one of a number of Jewish leaders, uh, and he would have been a rabbi. And these rabbis had schools, and these schools were made up of the best young men of, of, the, of the society, of the culture, of the town. And they were determined best as uh, those men who had shown the highest aptitude for what we consider to be the Old Testament scriptures. Many of them had memorized vast, vast, vast quantities of scriptures. Many of them could recite the whole Pentateuch, the whole first five books of the Bible. They could start in Genesis 1-1 and go all the way through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they could recite that. And so these were the guys who were picked to be in these, in these disciple schools. But Jesus came along, and he had a different, he had a different idea, uh, which we've kind of come to appreciate with Jesus, right? He had a different idea. Because the guys who couldn't kind of cut the mustard here, and they couldn't, they couldn't make it to be chosen for a rabbi school, well, they were then delivered into apprenticeships, into usually a family trade. And so by the time we find Peter and Andrew, James and John, who are already out there fishing, James and John, probably teenagers because they were out there with their father Zebedee, uh, they're out there and they're, they're men who had been passed over by all the good rabbis. Nobody picked them. I don't know if you've ever had the feeling of not being picked for softball or something, but nobody picked them. No one picked them. And so they were, they were delivered into this life of fishing for a living and they would never be able to serve in the temple. They would never be able to serve in the ways that was kind of the, you know, the, kind of the goal of, the, of all the, the great young men of the society. And so Jesus came along and he passed over. As he was collecting his school, he passed over all these, the, the cream of the crop, so to speak. And he goes to Peter and Andrew and James and John, these fishermen. And he said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, can you imagine how their life changed on a dime? I mean, they had, they had resigned themselves, I'm sure. Uh, I'm going to be catching and cleaning these stinking fish for the rest of my life. And Jesus comes along and says, no, you follow me. I want you in my discipleship school. I want you to be my disciple. And can you imagine how excited they would have been for the first day of disciple school? I wonder what we're going to get to do today. Are we going to start working on our prayer shawls? Our phylacteries, you know, are, are we going to get to stand on street corners and, and pray with Jesus so that people will see us as all these other rabbis were doing? And Jesus said, well, welcome to disciple school. The first thing that we're going to do today is break the law. 
That's the first thing. We're going to go break the law and we're going to touch a leper. (laughs) Yikes. This is the context. What we're about to do with the Bible is try to understand what happened in this passage and what it means for us. That's the context. But what we're about to do is very risky because we're about to try to draw some eternal principles from reading a narrative. Now, a narrative passage in the Bible is kind of what it suggests. It's, it's a passage that talks about somebody doing something. It's David killing Goliath. It's Moses parting the Red Sea. It's Jesus walking on water. These are narrative passages in the Bible. And we have to be real cautious about drawing you know, long-standing conclusions and principles, overarching principles from them, because you can make mistakes. So, for example, you could make the mistake of saying that if you're a real Christian, you should be able to walk on water, because Jesus walked on water. And that would be an erroneous conclusion to draw from a narrative passage. And the truth is, is some things Jesus did for us just to show us he could do it, right? And to demonstrate that he's God. So we have to be real careful as we try to draw these conclusions from this narrative today, but I think we can do it. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Some of you have a little footnote there, and it says leprosy is a, is a designation for a variety of different kinds of skin disorders. But it, notice this guy was covered with leprosy. I think, we can, I think we can safely say that this guy had had this condition for a long time. Because although there are, you know, a few medical conditions that create a sudden widespread uh, kind of uh, skin condition, such as the measles and chicken pox and stuff like that, those are temporary. But this guy had leprosy, and generally skin disorders of this nature, they're, they're, they spread gradually over time. And this guy is said to have been covered with leprosy. Now, as a leper, he was put out of the Jewish community because he was dangerously contagious. So he's put out of the Jewish community. And so for a long time, I think we can assume that this guy was not in contact with the people he loved. And even the people he loved had to distance themselves from him because of the contagious nature of his disease. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. Now this would have been a real natural position for him. Because he's a beggar. Like the lepers we know in India, they're beggars. It's what they do. It's their only option for survival. And so this would have been real natural for him. So he's begging Jesus. He's begging to Jesus. But somehow he knows something about Jesus. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. (laughs) Somehow he knew. I know you can. I know you can make me clean. I know you can do this. But I don't know if you're willing. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Gasp. Yes. Gasp, church. Gasp. Gasp as though your life depends on it, church. He touched the man. Ah, you're into it. He touched the man. This was a 
violation of a deeply held law of the Jews. You don't touch lepers. They're outcasts. It's dangerous to touch lepers. But he did it. Jesus touched him. Notice he touched him before he said anything. And what did he say? I am willing. Man, hold on to that. That's an I am statement. I am God. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am willing. Hold on to that. Hold on to that like you hold on to I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hold on to that. I'm willing. Be clean. And immediately, immediately, immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone. (laughs) Come on. This is such a peculiar thing that Jesus did. And I've heard different explanations about this secret that Jesus was trying to keep, having to do with his time wasn't ready, stuff like that. But it's still peculiar to tell heal somebody of a lifelong disease and say, now don't tell anybody. I mean, wouldn't this guy say, I think they're going to suspect something. I don't have leprosy anymore. He said, but, don't t- but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded your, for your cleansing as a testimony to them, as a testimony to them. Not the sacrifice wasn't required to cleanse him. He's already cleansed. But as a testimony that you have been cleansed in parentheses, by the hand of God. Go and make this testimony. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I love that about Jesus, don't you? It just gives me license to go, I'm sorry I'm not available. (laughs) I have to go be like Jesus. There you have it. So what do we do with this? What can we gain from this I am willing statement? What is God willing to do for us? Anything we dream up? Come on, church. Is God willing to do anything we dream up? Anything we can rile up the enthusiasm and say, in Jesus' name. I said, in Jesus' name, or whatever. I mean, Jesus wasn't willing to do anything his disciples asked. Remember when a couple of them came and they were ticked off at these people and they said, can we call down some fire from heaven? Call the artillery. And Jesus goes, Oy vey, you guys. And he didn't do that. Wasn't willing to do that. Was Jesus willing to do anything we can dream up, like some of the TV preachers say? I don't think so. I don't think that's a fair assessment. In John, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, it says, This is the assurance. This is the assurance that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, according to his willingness, he hears us. The next verse says, and we know that if he hears us, we have what we ask of him. So there's something about, you know, God answering prayer is predicated on, on an understanding of his willingness. What is he willing to do? What is he willing to do? That's really our question. So I think in order to do this properly, we'd have to ask the question, what would he be willing to do for you if you were a leper? In other words, put yourself right in the context of the one to whom he spoke these words. And then you can begin to draw some proper conclusions. What would he be willing to do? Well, he'd be willing to touch you. He would be willing to touch you. 
Jesus is willing to touch you. Get this. Verse 13, he reached out his hand and he touched the man. Jesus is willing to touch you. Make sure you get this. You know, when... When we go to India and pray for, in, these leper col- in this leper colony and we pray for these people, uh, we, we lay hands on them. And we went the year ago, and Karen and I just, and Lori, we just went in there and we started laying hands on people and stuff. And, and they were lining up for prayer. They were kind of coming around in prayer, and we'd lay hands on them and pray. And, uh, and then we found out on the way home that we weren't supposed to do that, that we weren't supposed to lay hands on them, you know, because you might catch something. But they said that it was the most remarkable thing that we did that. And so then we took a team of 10 this year. And for some reason, Pastor Stephen gave us the speech before we went to the leper colony. He said, no. And I said, don't touch them, okay? And then I forgot. <laughs> and everybody forgot. <laughs> and it's kind of cool because, you know, there, when there's something inside you that's just so filled with compassion and love that it doesn't matter what the rules are and it doesn't matter what the risk is. And Jesus wants to. And uh, I went into the infirmary of the leper colony in India. Now, okay, so you're in India. You're in the leper colony in India. And you're where the sick lepers are. And there was one, the first one I went in. I can't finish that story. Sorry, you're going to have to fill in the blanks. I can't even talk. We touched them, okay? We just touched them. Just put hands on them. I mean, nobody touches them. Nobody touches these people. They have no contact. They have no human contact. They live on concrete floors in dark huts. Nobody touches them. How can you not touch them? Jesus didn't care about the rules. Jesus didn't care about the risk. And Jesus doesn't care in you. He wants to touch you. To be a Christian is an experience. It's not an idea. This touch of the Holy Spirit that so many of you give yourselves and offer yourselves for, this is the touch of Jesus. He wants to touch us. He's real. The gospel isn't just for going to heaven later. It's for now. He's real, and Jesus wants to touch you. He's willing. He's willing to touch you. He's willing to cleanse you, verse 13. He said, I'm willing. He said, be clean. Be clean. And that's the larger issue in all of these accounts with, encounters with Jesus is a cleansing. Because the cleansing is what separated lepers from society, right? Or the, the fact they needed to be cleansed. The only way they could ever re-enter society was to demonstrate, prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they'd been cleansed. And so Jesus said, be clean. He didn't say be healed. He said, be clean. Be clean. It's the larger issue. Remember when people were getting all up in Jesus' grill about telling a guy that his sins had been forgiven? And he said, well, who are you to forgive sins? This guy was a paralytic. And he said, well, oh, well, to show you that I have authority to forgive sins, he said to the man, take up your mat and walk, and he did. And the point was, Jesus saying, the bigger issue is cleansing. The bigger issue is what separates you from God, and the bigger issue is what separates you from one another. 
And the cleansing that Jesus wants to give us by his blood is a cleansing that's complete. And it, it, it eliminates the distance between you and God by the blood of Jesus. It's eliminated. You're cleansed. You're kept apart by your sin. I'm kept apart by my sin. But Jesus comes and he cleanses. But he also wants to cleanse so that we can embrace each other. Because it's the, it's the sin that keeps us from fellowshipping with one another in the way the Bible describes it. It's that sense of condemnation and shame that keeps us from embracing one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the cleansing is the bigger issue. And we can conclude here that Jesus is willing to cleanse you. Jesus is willing to heal you, verse 13. And immediately the leprosy left him. Again, we're trying to draw a conclusion from narrative. We have to be careful here. But Jesus still heals the sick. Did you hear that? Jesus still heals the sick. Hey, Carl, yesterday in the men's breakfast, you, you told me something really cool. Could, could you say that loud enough so everybody could hear you? I mean, afterwards when you said when the guys prayed for you? <laughs> so, this is a cop talking, and cops never lie. So listen. Listen. But we were in the, having men's breakfast, and it was going on, it was great, and it was happening, and several guys getting prayed for, and he was just sitting at a table that was right about there, drinking orange juice, and a couple guys got around him and started praying for him, and he told me afterwards, he said, man, he said, I just flooded with heat. I just flooded with heat. Flooded with heat. Now, every time I've prayed for somebody and my hands have heated up, they've been healed. So I, I said, Carl, that's a good thing. Jesus still heals people. Jesus still heals people. In 33 years of experience in ministry, I'm here to say that Jesus still heals people. Okay? We need to get hold of that. Is he willing to heal everyone? That's a very tricky question, isn't it? Is he, is he willing to heal everyone? That's a, such a tricky question. It's such a complicated thing to try to understand. But I think what we should, my, my view is we should always, we should always approach every opportunity to pray for someone as though it is God's will to heal them. We should always approach every situation to pray for someone who is sick as though God has already healed them and we need to help them to get hold of that healing. Did you hear? Expecting. And some, some of my critics say, but is that 100% successful, Tom? And I say, no, unfortunately, I have, to, I have to say that that has not been 100% successful. But let me tell you what. Approaching every situation not believing it's God's will to heal them, I'll guarantee you will be 100% failure. God heals. He still heals. Jesus said, I'm willing, and he healed the man. Now, we cannot draw sweeping conclusions from that, but we can say that it's Jesus' intention to heal. It's Jesus' intention to lead you. Look what he did next. And Jesus ordered him. Ordered him. <laughs> Did Jesus ever boss you around? He does me. <laughs> I mean, it's not his normal tone. But he, he, gets, he gets up there in my space every now and then. <laughs> says, what you're doing is not good. (laughs) And he ordered him, Jesus is willing to lead you. 
And the direction Jesus gives in these different situations, go and sin no more, do this, do that, is really fascinating kind of stuff. But it's clearly the interest of Jesus not only to be your toucher, cleanser, and healer, but to take over your life and tell you what to do. And that's actually very good news. Because he's the only one who knows the way out of the messes we get ourselves into, right? He's the only one who knows the way out. So I'm really glad when he says, follow me. Come, try and keep up. Let's go. <laughs> he wants to lead you. And I think one of the fascinating passages of this scripture that often goes overlooked is that he wants to save you. Jesus is willing to save you. Where do you get that, you ask? Is anybody here? Thank you, Mike. It's in verse 14. Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. For me, this is the most fascinating part of the whole encounter. I mean, why would Jesus violate the first part of the law and then tell the guy to go fulfill the second part? And wasn't Jesus kind of not about religion? So why would he be saying, why don't you go and do this religious thing? Well, to get that, you have to turn back to what he told him to do, Leviticus chapter 14. That's in the Old Testament, way toward the beginning. If you've never seen this, this is going to blow your socks off. Leviticus chapter 14. This is what Jesus told him to do. He said, go and do the thing, do the thing that Moses commanded you to do. In the heading of mine, it says, cleansing from infectious skin diseases. Verse four, chapter 14, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for the diseased person at the time of his ceremonial cleansing when he is brought, brought to the priest. So this is what you're supposed to do. When you've been healed, you have to go show yourself to the priest, and here's what's going to happen. The priest is to go outside the camp and examine him. So the priest goes to you, leper. He goes to you, comes to you. He comes to fetch you, to get you. If the person has been healed of the infectious skin disease, the priest shall order that two live, clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the one to be cleansed. Is anybody dialing into this yet? You've got some cedar wood. You've got wood. You've got scarlet fabric. And hyssop, what's hyssop? Hyssop's like sagebrush. And the priests would use it that when they would take the, the blood of the lamb or the blood of the sacrificed animal and they would dip the hyssop in it, it was like a paintbrush and they would spatter it on you. Wham, 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 wham. And they would sprinkle you with the blood of the lamb. They would sprinkle you with the blood of the lamb. And you would be marked. Everybody would know where you've been because you'd be spattered with the blood of the lamb by this hyssop. And Jesus is telling this guy what to do. He says, go and do that. Go get yourself spattered by the blood of the lamb. So you bring the hyssop, be brought for the one to be cleansed, and the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over a fresh water in a clay pot. Fresh water, cleansing water, the blood of the bird dripping down into the water. 
Then he's take the, the live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn. I just find it really difficult to read stuff about the sacrifice of Jesus and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water and seven times, a perfect number, seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the infectious disease and pronounce him clean. Then he is to release the live bird into the open fields. You have the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus in Leviticus chapter 14. And this is what he told the man to do. He said, go get yourself saved. It was too soon for him to say, believe in me, because he hadn't yet died historically. But he said, go get yourself saved. And could it be any more clear that Jesus is willing to save you? Right where you are, no matter what, Jesus is willing to save you. He's willing to touch you cleanse you, heal you, lead you, save you. So what do we gain from this? First, when you get ready to pray to receive something, first ask to be caught up in the larger will of God. Would you do this? When you get ready to pray to receive something, God, we we need to pray for this, we need to pray for that. Ask that you get caught up in the larger will of God. In John 5, 19, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He said, I'm I'm caught up in the larger will of God so that anything that I ask for as the Son of God on the earth, I get. So be caught up in the larger will of God. You know, we can't be living our lives irrespective of the will of God for our lives and then come and ask for him to be willing to do something. We We have no concept of what the larger will of God is, right? You following We have to live, live with our minds occupied, the desire to know and live in the will of God. Second, when you get ready to pray to receive something, be sure you're not only saying in the name of Jesus, but you're actually living by the name of Jesus. You know, this is not formulaic where you have to say in the name of Jesus and you'll get it. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, you'll receive it, right? Well, there we go. What does it mean in my name? As a man, as a woman, as a young person who bears the name of Jesus, who lives in the context of the character of Jesus. Don't worry about the religious part. Don't worry about what church you attend or you're a member of. It's about living in the character of Jesus. That's what living in the name of Jesus is. Yeah? Jesus living inside of you? His name living through you? Well, then you'll pray in his name. And there'll be things you won't pray for. Naturally, automatically, because you're living in the larger context of what God's doing. You're living by the name of Jesus. And you'll find that your very prayers are shaped in accordance with the will of God. And you'll see amazing results when you pray. And then third, when you pray, always begin from the perspective that God is willing. Always begin there. Always begin that God is willing. See, when you're praying by the character of Jesus, you're not going to ask for fire to come from heaven and consume your enemies, right? You're going to pray for the love of God to come from heaven and convert your enemies, right? But only if you're living by the name and the character of Jesus. 
And so when you get to this third place, then you're, you're, always, you're always praying, believing that he's willing, because this taps into the character of Jesus and it also releases faith from you. Okay. So what do you need from Jesus this morning, people? Do you need him to touch you? I mean, are you here this morning and you, you would be so blessed by a touch from God? You know, Jesus said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Think about it this way. If your child comes up to you and wants to snuggle, wants you to hug him, wants you to kiss him, wants you to play ring around the rosy, wants to hold hands and walk through the mall, are you going to turn them down? Jesus said, if you understand that, that you're always willing to touch a receptive child, hold them. Look at that right there. Right there. All three of them all lined up, arms around each other. It's natural, isn't it? And if you, sorry, who are evil, have it in your heart to do this, how much more is God willing to touch those who ask him? He must touch you. Changes everything. Cleanse you. Are you overcome with shame? Are you still wearing that shame around? That devilish, dark thing? That constant reminder of the past and your failures? He wants to cleanse you of that. Ask him. Wants to heal you. Yep. Bible says, is any of you sick? Well, let's get him prayed up. <laughs> he wants to heal you. I believe 100% that God wants to heal you today. He wants to lead you. Some of you are stuck in spots you don't know how to get out of. You need to pray for the Lordship of Jesus to come and say, Lord, show me the way out. Show me the way out. He wants to save you. He wants to save you. Are you a person who has not yet come to the place of salvation in your life? Or you've come to a moment of awareness where you say, Lord, I get it now. I'm, I can't do this. I can't save myself. I can't work up enough good behavior to think that anything's going to change. Would you come into my life? Would you be Savior for me? Would you do the saving for me? And would you be my Lord? Would you come in and lead me? Lead me. The Bible says that it's appointed unto every person once to die and after that a judgment. And what are we going to do? How are we going to face that? The Bible says by Jesus, by asking him to take residence in our lives. I think you know what you need. I had a fascinating experience at prayer meeting Thursday morning in the kitchen back here. And there was such liberty and such joy. Just a little prayer meeting that meets in the kitchen on Thursday mornings. It's great. You should go. I don't usually go because it interrupts my Thursday solitude time with Jesus. So I get the message ready. But I went this last Thursday morning and there was so much liberty and so much joy. And I got this picture. I don't, know if, I don't think it was a vision, but it was a mental picture that was so strong. And the picture was, 
we were praying, and I was walking into a room, kind of like a storeroom, and had all these chrome wire racks. But on every one of those racks were these kind of like old-timey uh, vessels, kind of like, you know, you know, can you get a picture when the wise men came to Jesus and they brought the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they had these little boxes that had like jewels on them and stuff, you know? I mean, that's what's in my head anyway. I don't know. They might have brought them in paper sacks. I don't know, but that's the picture I get. And all of these, all of these racks were filled with these. And I was praying, and and uh, the Lord said, "Stop asking me, and just take from the shelves. Just take from the shelves." And so we'd be praying for like Carl or somebody, and I'd just walk over and I'd grab one of those things and I'd just open it up and like pour it on my imaginary Carl, right? And in every situation we were praying for, it was like Jesus was saying, it's already there. You know, Paul said, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And so I think it was just a picture, if you will, of the riches. It was a storeroom of riches. It was healing. It was deliverance. It was it was salvation. And I just want to pour that on the church this morning. I want you to pour it on each other. Okay? Lord in heaven, we ask you to come. Bless. We ask you to come and complete your plan. I know I've talked a long time this morning, didn't I, Lord? Lord, I pray that your voice was in there somewhere and it's touched hearts and somebody has uh, just thought about this in a way that They can open up the door of their hearts and lives and invite you in. Come, Lord. Come, Lord, and do these things that you did for this leper because we need them all. We thank you that you're willing. You're not a God who has to be shouted at or worn down. You're our loving Father waiting for us to come and receive what you've prepared for those who love you. So I pray for every person in this room and whatever stirring they have in their hearts, whatever day this is for them, I pray the power of the Lord Jesus to come. Come, Lord.